The Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome to Just Love, our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world, but through the perspective of our Catholic social teaching. Just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself, and our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. Uh, we speak about those things which are in the news because they are important. Now, I would never claim that everything that is in the news is all that important. And in fact, when I was going through my weekly, my daily kind of just looking at what's in a variety of, of publications, a variety of news sources, uh, I was looking at one which I will remain nameless at the moment. And basically, um, I would say that the one this morning uh, may be nominated for the most drivel I've ever <laughs> seen in any news news stuff. I mean, it was uh, absolutely uh, ridiculous, the 10 or 15 stories that were highlighted there. Um, so anyway, so there's, uh, there's that. But um, anyway, but Tom, you know, that's a good, good segue into, uh, to the show. So, but let me finish that thought and then I'll go to you, Tom, is, you know, looking at the things that are in the media, we kind of try to bring them to you, our listeners, and to kind of take a spin on them to say, wait a minute, the, if this is going on in the world, and we're supposed to advance the kingdom of God in the world, that that's one of our missions as disciples of Jesus as Catholics, well, then what does our Catholic history, our Catholic perspective, you know, say, what's the light it shines on these ideas, uh, I'm sorry, on these this reality, and how should we be responding to it? So, Tom, let me ask you, um, what are the news sources that, um, that you kind of regularly, um, you know, consult for your information about What's going on in the world? I usually, Monsignor, if, if I'm going to go, as you know, I don't have television, so I don't really consume the the television media. So what I'll do is I have a subscription to the New York Times. Right. So I'll wind up looking through the Times. But as you said, I understand there's a bias there. Then I'll also, I don't have a subscription, but I try to like kind of just at least look through the Wall Street Journal to kind of get a balance there on both sides. And then just for fun, Monsignor, I do have to admit, I do look at the New York Post. Okay. <laughs> just for a little bit of fun. Okay. Um, and other than that, I also subscribe to various religious news sources, like, for example, Religious News Service, Crooks. Uh, I usually look through there to just kind of stay abreast of what's going on and, and, and National Catholic Reporter to just kind of, uh, you know, keep abreast of what's going on in the church, too. So that's usually it. And then, frankly, uh, I have a lot of friends on Facebook who are kind of very conversant in things. So they'll share stuff. And I usually look at it. And again, if I trust the person, then I look at the news source. If I don't trust the person, I don't bother looking at the news source. So that's kind of how I vet. That's how I vet my medium this year. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, Tom, what's very interesting is there's a great deal of overlap in uh, in in our news sources. So I my my three kind of basic stuff that I that I go to. Uh, pretty much every day to check out what's in there is the New York Post, the Wall Street Journal, and then and the New York Times. So I oh, do. <laughs> um, 
you know, I do look at those and the basically the only regular kind of Catholic news source that I look at is uh, is Crooks. Mm-hmm. I look at that. Um, the other thing that I look at pretty regularly is the Associated Press um, uh, news, news, news stuff that I find pretty, pretty good. That's there. So those are those are the ones that I generally uh, kind of generally look at. I don't um, I don't get a lot of my news from generally from shared uh, stuff, either on Facebook or or Twitter. Not never, but rarely do I uh, do I do that. So um, anyway, those are those are places that I kind of look to get get my news. And as, as we were talking about is that, um, you know, and what we do is on Just Love is we kind of look at what's going on in the news and then we kind of try to look at it from the perspective of our of our Catholic uh, values, our Catholic beliefs. So anyway, so that's kind of um, what we are doing on Just Love. So uh, Tom, uh, our first guest is, um, is Dr. Jowlin Chair, who is um, about, uh, is a professor at Northeastern University. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about China. So um, I am delighted that uh, Dr. Uh, Jowlin Chair is joining us on Just Love. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Chair, for joining us on Just Love. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Great. So, um, Dr. Dr. Cher, give our listeners a little bit of your background. I mean, they only hear our voices. So let them let them know a little bit about how you wound up being a assistant professor at Northeastern University. How'd you, how'd you wind up there? Um, I graduated from the PhD program at Northeastern University with a um, economics major. So my research focus is on labor and demographics economics. And then later on, I had some teaching positions at Bentley University, um, City University of New York, Queens College. And then I got a, you know invited into my alma mater and then being uh, assistant teaching professor there. Yeah. Did you grow up in the Chicago area? Um. I'm yeah. sorry, Boston. I'm Boston, past Boston. Yeah, <laughs> right. So I, my master's degree is also obtained at Northeastern, you know, economic department. So I spent like seven years there as a student and then as a faculty members. Um, you know, I'm very proud can be staying in, you know, my home department. Did you grow up in that area, in in, in the Boston area? No, no, I grew up in China. Oh, so, okay, okay. So I'm a Chinese <laughs> Okay, well, we're so today's topic is more relevant. <laughs> we're glad that you're glad that you're here. I do have to ask you a question, which I which I always do, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but <laughs> but are you since you spend so much time in Boston? Uh-huh. Are you a Boston Red Sox fan? Um, y- yes or no? Because I'm not, uh, you know, follow those sports, you know, okay. teams. Uh, well, Professor Share, the right answer is no. Um, yeah, I'm not that into you know. Okay. In uh, that's that's that. But my friend like um, Rice Sox team. Huge right? <laughs> <Gotcha. laughs> fan. 
right. So anyway, so thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to be with us on Just Love. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. You know, so I we all, I mean, so let's get on to, I mean, we're going to cover a number of topics, uh, but I think in the common understanding of, let's say, people in the United States, I think they just think China is the biggest country in the world, the most populous country in the world. And like, it's just so, so huge. Um, But that I think is common understanding. And I'll just say I'm probably one of those people. But then when I heard just like a few weeks ago that India may overtake China. So what's going on? I mean, how, how China... How come it's shrinking popularity? So what's going on? Yeah, so from my understanding, you know, China has been uh, controlled the, the birth, control the birth rate since um, 1985. There's a one child policy. So that's understandable because one child policy has solved a lot of, uh, you know, problems in China. For example, to solve the famine problems, um, it alleviates some, you know, of environmental issues in China um, and agricultural production has been more and more self-sufficient. Um, China become, you know, the GDP in China, GDP per capita has increased tremendously um, over the decades. You have a lot of pros, um, but there are some cons, right? So the population, so there's a only one child policy implemented for 35 years. That means if the people who are born in 1950s to 1990s, if they want to give birth um, between this 1985 to 2015, uh, by law, they can only have one birth be accurate, could be twins or triplets, but only one birth, one child policy. So you can imagine that if this generation of the one child parents no longer with us, um, and the China's population base is bound to decrease significantly, um, it can be seen from this increasingly aging China's population structure. Um, so even if without COVID, um, I think, yeah. So when the people who born in 1950s and 1960s deceased, which is about 20 to 30 years later, and the China's population, you know, death rate will definitely increase a lot. Um, if the birth rate does not keep up at the same time, and the negative population growth is an inevitable result. Um, but India, on the other hand, they don't control birth, right? They can have as many children as they want. So, of course, you know, the population just surges, right? But, but China realized this, this problem, population shrinks, a lot of um, drawbacks of this, you know, birth control policies. Um, so now the families in China can have as many children as they want, um, you know, without facing any fines or other consequences. So, Professor... Cher, let me let me see if I remember from a long time ago. Was I, I in school? Is do you, do you kind of need do you need two point one births per family in order to kind of maintain the cop populations? I somehow remember that. So I mean, I mean, in China? No, in the world. I mean, in other words, in any well, country, you yeah. Gotta, so two children per family can remain this you know, population. Yeah, so in China before, there will be two children, pop, you know, policy. Right. So if the first child is a girl, and then you could have the second child. But, you know, <laughs> that's in old times. Um, right. 
Well, but I think that's true. So that's, yeah, I have two children. Um, yeah, but nowadays uh, people become more and more educated and um, become richer. And then they're just uh, more reluctant to have to have any children, right? To, so, so let's go on to said some of the economics of mm. that because you mentioned that uh, the per capita uh, income has grown. I guess the per capita um, uh, domestic uh, product has has you know per capita increased, but on the other hand. There are some social and economic consequences. So what are some of those? Yeah, so population shrinks because that's a that's a denominator if you imagine the fraction. Right. Um, and population divide, you know, the GDP, gross domestic product divided by the number of people. Um, when the population shrinks, the GDP per capita increase. But at the same time, uh, if you look at the, you know, from the theory of supply demand, um, so supply side is a labor force, right? So the number of people shrinks and the people in the labor force um, become you know, smaller. And then the one of the consequences is the price of labor will increase, right? And higher, um, higher cost of production. And then that will decrease the supply. Um, at the same time, the population shrinks, um, the number of consumers also decrease. So the decreased demand, so lower supply, lower demand, use classical supply demand model of economics, the GDP or the goods and services produced will be lower. So, right, so lower GDP. Um, we use GDP as a, you know, as a standard, right, to evaluate the health of the economy. So China now is the second largest economy in the world. But if this population shrinks, is a, a common trend, and then the GDP will decline, right? That's for sure. But maybe the GDP per capita will increase, um, but the GDP will decline. Um, and also the other thing is because of aging population, um, so the government, the tax payments right, they will collect will, will be lower, right? And they have to pay the welfare uh, spending. So Medicaid, Medicare, um, pensions, social security payments. So a lot of uh, welfare expenditure um, by the government, but not enough government, you know, tax revenues. So the budget deficit will be will be a result. So that's will be, you know, the downside um, from the government um, perspective. Um, but for the people who live in this economy. Um, fewer goods and services produced, we say that the people's living standard will be lower. Um, yeah, that's that's not good. That's why the government didn't you know sit idly by. So they implemented many policies to encourage people to have more children, um, to extend the retirement age. Um, yeah, there's a lot of policy implemented to counter counteract right this this trend. Yeah. So, so, so what? Um, so, what are uh, um, what are there because of this? I guess the you know the government has decided that that at the moment the decreased uh, population or the decreased uh, birth rate is having a negative effect on China. Um, 
so they they've eliminated the the policy of only one child but have they added any incentives in order to encourage people to have more children uh any incentives yeah for the from the government perspective yeah in other words are there any policies that they put in place to incentivize people having more children yes yeah, so for example um the government prohibited the you know prohibited the outside school learning centers so let me give you some some context Great. so we are better use first to place and first person because i'm a chinese so we chinese parents value education you know very much so we consider the children's education um you know you know more important than anything else so we like to push our children to let or make our children to learn various skills from a very young age the piano lessons um art dancing swimming calligraphy so many many activities um so they need money right we need a we need a financial support our children's extracurricular activities so that's kind of rat race regarding children's education among parents um so many many of the young adults in china they don't want to get themselves involved into this rat race so that's why they say okay i don't want you know i better especially for those more educated young adults so the, even if they reach the childbearing age they decide to pursue the realization of their own values or to you know focus on their self development um because they don't want to get involved into this rat race um so the government say okay now i give you some incentive so this is all outside of school learning or extracurricular activities all banned so to disincentivize this kind of rat race right, regarding education among you know parents so n- not like children themselves have peer pressure is we as parents have peer pressure right so we have this we have to compete other parents we don't want, we don't want our children to fall behind their peers so the government say okay all the math learning you know schools outside school you know um no extracurricular classes all banned so if anyone found this kind of learning you know center and then they can report to the government some officials and then they'll get face a huge fine so now in china no one like publicly saying oh i have a math you know tutoring school or something so that's one policy implemented to you know disincentivize this kind of uh, fierce competition among parents uh, regarding their children's education um yeah there are many other like some like banning school district housing policies so there are very good schools elementary school middle high school um and then so for people who li- live nearby and they are automatically assigned to this good school so for parents if they want their children to get admitted into the school they have to buy a house nearby or rent a house nearby so that make the price of these houses nearby very very high and then the you know chinese government implemented this okay so no school district housing policies so all the children all the students are randomly assigned to schools um yeah so that's another policy to kind of uh, incentivize people so, so we're yeah. speaking with uh professor 
uh, Jowlin Chair. But you've been generous with your time. Let me just ask you one final question before I I let you let you go. Are you um, how so the population shrinking? They now changed it. How long is it going to take to catch up and kind of begin to grow? Um, that's, a, that's a very, very good question. Uh, from my point of view, I think next year, this year, 2023, give me a second, next year, next year, the population will definitely grow. The reason is next year is the year of the dragon. Okay. So we Chinese, according to the Chinese zodiac, we Chinese believe that we are descendants of the dragon. So, um, you know, the, the many Chinese people just try to time pregnancies for a year of the dragon because they believe the baby born in the year of dragon will be um, stronger, braver, and um, healthier, luckier. So oh. the birth rate next year definitely increase. Um, but the death rate, I think there's no COVID influence. Um, yeah, that's my prediction. Next year, so so we need to pay attention to the year of the dragon. Yes, (laughs) Professor favorite favorite year. (laughs) Professor Jalen Cher, thank you so much for being with us and kind of making us a little bit smarter on what's going on in China. Um, My pleasure. Tom, I think we'll take a break. Just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Let's get back to Just Love and your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. Oh, 
just do it. Just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself, and our world will be more just, and it will be more compassionate. This is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world. Um, hey, Tom, have you, I, I think I know the answer to this. Uh, you've not been to China, China, right? I've been to Taiwan, uh, but never have to, yes, I have, but never to mainland China. And uh, I, w- I, I went actually over Monsignor. It was part of our Buddhist Catholic dialogue. And oh. uh, a lot of the Chinese Buddhists, you know, their their primary place of, of, of I guess, of where they, you know, their religion is based today is Taiwan, because obviously it wouldn't be in the uh, in, in mainland China because they, you know, they're not as supportive of, of, of religious belief. So it was honestly one of the most magnificent trips I think I've ever been on. They were so they were so wonderful. They were such good hosts. Um, and, and physically, Taiwan, which many people wouldn't know, is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Really, well, really pretty. Yeah. How long were you there for? Uh, two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks in Taiwan? Yep. We went all around the island that we went uh, that we they rented a bus for us and we went from uh, Taipei all the way down to the south. And then we went up what would be the eastern coast, uh, which is along the Pacific. And that has to be, as I told you, some of the most beautiful scenery I think I've ever seen. It would look like Hawaii. You know, how big big is Taiwan? Taiwan is it's it's a smaller island. I'd say it's probably the size maybe of Rhode Island. I'm going to just throw that out. It's not a very big, it's not a very big placement here, but it's got a lot of people. <laughs> does it? Yeah, it does. It populous. does. It's, it's very, very populous. Yeah, I would say very, very populous. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Well, so again, I mean, this may not be, well, let me ask it this way. Um, I'll just ask it. Um, would you go back? In a heartbeat. I would. Really? Yeah, it's absolutely. I mean, if you ever get a chance to go and I would, Recommended to our listeners, if you ever get a chance to go, the people are wonderful. Um, obviously, you know, it's a little bit, you know, I mean, the situation of Taiwan today politically is a little bit, uh, a, a little bit more, more dangerous than I, I was when I went. I went right before COVID. I went back in, um, in, in November and December of 2019. So it was right before COVID hit. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Ve- so pretty, um, Pretty recently. Recently, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, and um, so let me ask then the next question. Having been to Taiwan, um, are you interested in going to mainland China? I, You know, I would be. Only, I, I, you know, I would be interested in going to mainland China simply to, to see it, Monsignor. One thing I will tell you that was very interesting, I, you know, and this has to do while we were traveling around, and and it's it's interesting because we saw the entirety of Taiwan, right? So when, as I mentioned, I was on the east coast of Taiwan. It was so pristine and so clean and so beautiful. On the west coast of Taiwan, which is on the, it's right on the border with China. Um, we were going along, and the beaches there were very very dirty. I have to say they were they were extremely dirty. There was like oil in the sand, and there was garbage that was washing up on the shore. And, and and it was interesting to me to kind of see the difference, you know, only because I was there for two weeks. You know, you can kind of see the contrast and yeah. the contrast between the East Coast and the West Coast was incredible. So so you can see kind of, I guess, the pollution that is, you know, that is uh, is generated in mainland China and it does kind of come over to Taiwan. So, yeah, oh. yeah, that's a real thing. So so I would be curious to see. I've heard people who go to China, 
you know, the smog and, and those kind of things. I wouldn't be surprised by that. Ah, so, huh. So that's, uh, and what's, um, isn't one of the issues that we're dealing with with China at the moment is that they are a major, major um, uh, conductor of, of, I mean, not a conductor, but a producer of, of micro, of chips, micro. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Taiwan produce is, is, I think the world's, at least for the West, the world's major producer of, of these microchips and things of that nature. So yeah, uh, yeah if you go to Taipei, when senior Taipei is, is a really modern city. Like you go and everything is computerized and everything is, yeah, it's really, it's really special. And they have these night markets you go out to and they have all these interesting foods. Um, I, I, I can't say I tried them all. I tried some. <laughs> so it's really fascinating so and and i guess from what you're telling me uh, it's a fairly kind of modernized country yes yes very i would say very, it's very very modern you go it's it's modern but they also i mean like every place you go monsignor they're very respectful of tradition and okay. like you go and you see like this they they have all these beautiful temples it's predominantly a, a buddhist country you know, but we also visited a lot of the Catholic, um, you know, places. Uh, we visited a Marian old missioner there uh, and uh, who was in Taipei. And, and so uh, so we visited some of the Catholic sites, too. But they they're they're very respectful of tradition and their ancestors. And uh, and as I said, they're just lovely people. Yeah. Oh, OK, well, that's um, that's 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 fascinating. That is that's that's good. All right. So why don't we go to our. Next guest, Professor Kevin Ahern. Hey, Tom, you got a lot of academics on our show. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) So Kevin Ahern is the Associate Professor of Religious Studies. He's the co-chair of the Dorothy Day Guild, director of the Dorothy Day Center at Manhattan College. Uh, Professor Ahern, thank you so much for joining us on Just Love. Great to see you, and it's an honor to be here again. Thanks, Monsignor. Thank you. A little bit warmer just being Zoom than when I saw you last week when we were on the Dorothy Day Ferry. With the wind uh, blowing very fast and very cold across a beautiful New York Harbor, even on a cold, uh, cloudy day. Yeah. Yep. So um, anyway, so listen, um, so give our listeners who maybe didn't have the wonderful opportunity that you, Tom, and I had to be on the maiden voyage of the Dorothy's Day Ferry. Give our listeners a little bit of the whole story of the ferry and give, give our listeners a little sense of what this is all about. Sure. Uh, and some people might not be familiar that in New York City, we have this part this borough, Staten Island, uh, which is rather far from, it's much closer to New Jersey than it is to the island of Manhattan. So to get there, there's a ferry that people can take. Uh, and this was something that Dorothy Day took quite a lot to when she went back and forth from Staten Island to Manhattan. Uh, and the city uh, decided several years ago that they needed to have new a new fleet of ferry boats to carry passengers back and forth. It's a free ferry as well. Uh, and you pass right by the Statue of Liberty and Ellis Island and all these beautiful sites. Sometimes you can even see uh, dolphins, I've been told. But the the ferry goes uh, back and forth uh, on a half hour most days during the day. And uh, they launched these new fleet of ships. They needed three of them. 
and each of these ships carries 4,500 passengers at a time, these state-of-the-art ferry vessels. And the first one's named after a, a veteran of the Afghan war who lost his life in service of, 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 uh, of, of, his, bro- of his brothers. Then the second one is named after a settlement in Staten Island that was a, one of the first settlements for African-Americans, the Sandy Ground. And the third, they uh, some woman on Staten Island, a laywoman, decided to take upon herself several years ago to launch a petition to the city and asked that the city name it after Dorothy. And the city listened. And the, this big, giant $85 million vessel is named after Dorothy Day. So uh, it's really exciting uh, that uh, to see how government can work in this case uh, to, for a, a petition of someone to make it up the ladder. Oh, Kevin, great, great story. And again, uh, for, our, for our listeners who may not be so familiar with, with New York, um, New York, New York City is basically made up of five different counties, which we usually call boroughs. And all of them, or none of them except one, is connected to the mainland of the United United States. So we got a lot of islands. We have Staten Island is an island. Manhattan is an island. Brooklyn and Queens are part of Long Island. They form the westernmost tip of Long Island that stretches you know, quite a distance, 100 miles or more to the east. And then we got the Bronx, which hangs out from the rest of the United States, but is separated from water, uh, I'm sorry, by water with the other places. So as Kevin mentioned, um, you got to do some bridges and tunnels or boats in order to get around New York City if you want to be in more than one part of New York City. And so and, it, um, and and correct me if I'm wrong, Monsignor, but if you're going to go from one part of the Archdiocese of New York in Manhattan to Staten Island, which is also part of the Archdiocese, the only way to do it is to go by ferry unless you're going through another diocese, right? Uh, you can't, you, you, the, that's part of, there's no contiguous part by, by road, right? You have well, to go- but except, you know, Tom and I, I mean, I don't know about the rest of you, Tom and I swim it periodically. There we go. So there we, we go. can, we can, uh, we, we can do it that way, but, but <laughs> Kevin, you're, you're hundred percent right. You, so yeah. la- last, uh, last Friday, we had this inaugural voyage of this vessel and uh, we spent about a year planning it. I was on a planning committee with the New York City Department of Transportation, and they were great. I really have to give them a lot of a lot of uh, credit uh, because they invited a few of us from the Dorothy Day Guild, from the Dorothy's granddaughter Martha Hennessy, uh, and some others to be involved in the christening, which happened last November. Then this inaugural ride. So there's a plaque on the vessel that tells who Dorothy was. Uh, our members of this committee helped to draft it. There's, uh, you know, other elements of planning the event, uh, making sure all these different constituencies were happy. Uh, we were involved in that. So I really want to, I think New York City in cooperating with the Archdiocese and with uh, the Dorothy Day Guild and Catholic Worker owes, uh, gets a lot, needs a lot of credit for the way they handled this. Well, you know, Kevin, I'm glad you said that because rightly, there's a lot of cynicism about government these days. And, you know, rightly, we can point out 
some of the policy things that are going on, which are really very, very problematic, um, and just the inefficiency of government, et cetera, et cetera. But, and all of that's true. However, it's part of the story. And I think you're kind of saying, hey, here's something the government did that made a lot of sense and and whatever is 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 really, really good. You know, Kevin, for the sake of our listeners, one of the things that I was impressed with by the kind of little bit of the ceremony to for the inaugural voyage was the raising up of some of the values that are at the heart of Dorothy Day's life. And one of the reasons why she is being proposed to become a saint in the Catholic Church. So you want to say a little bit about that aspect of Dorothy Day? Yeah, I, I think there are many ways you can talk about Dorothy. She she was a mother, a grandmother. She was, uh, oh, God will, you know, God willing, the church will formally recognize her. But as many of us believe, she was a saint. Uh, during the uh, ceremony, Bishop O'Hara, O'Hara one of the uh, retired auxiliary bishops in the archdiocese, he he described Dorothy as a prophet. Right. And I think that is something that many of us who know about Dorothy would understand what he meant. And uh, prophets can make us uncomfortable, as he said, uh, because they call to mind where uh, where we might be going astray. And Dorothy reminded us of the values of 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 peace, of of the God, the Beatitudes, of the works of mercy, of the importance of of judging everything we do by by how it impacts the poor, what the church calls the option for the poor. Uh, and, you know, but we see that such in the gospel, right? She She was not afraid to take her gospel faith seriously. And that can make people uncomfortable. And I think the way the ceremony handled it, which was really interesting because there was a, a, a captain, a military officer from the Coast Guard there, which, uh, and there were also avowed pacifists from the Catholic worker in, in the crowd. So there was a bit of a, a tension uh, that you could see there, but uh, it, it worked. Uh, and I think that's what that ferry does in an interesting way in New York, which has its own political divisions. Uh, the Staten Island Ferry connects the city. It connects different groups of people. Uh, you know, very, people, businessmen with very high salaries ride that ferry every day, as do kids going to high school, as do people who are unhoused. And uh, I think there's a that was seen in that ceremony. Uh, so Dorothy's attention to the works of mercy, to hospitality, to inclusion, to welcoming people uh, was was very present. As you know, the the commissioner uh, of transportation for the city, uh, Rodriguez, Commissioner Rodriguez, he he gave a a, a beautiful reflection. Uh, and uh, he, for your listeners, he he uh, really highlighted the importance of Catholic Charities New York and the work of Monsignor Sullivan in uh, welcoming him to New York uh, and the importance of hospitality and mercy. Uh, and that was very present in that in that conversation too. It was, it was a really beautiful ceremony. I, I was I was very excited. Uh, and in the planning, it was interesting. We said, you know, some people might be uncomfortable with uh, with patriotic, the overly patriotic tones of some of the music or some of the other things that are necessary at these types of events. Uh, and so the compromise was that the Catholic worker has a band. Uh, has a folk band, and these two folk singers sang uh, some Pete Seeger-inspired songs uh, to uh, to to bring in the values of peace and justice into that. Yeah, I, I, uh, we're speaking with Kevin Ahern, who is a professor at Manhattan College. He is also the director of 
the Dorothy Day Center at Manhattan College and the co-chair of the Dorothy Day Guild. Um, and uh, I, for our listeners, um, so I mean, I talk about this all the time, given my my age and all. Um, the band the band epitomizes aging hippies. I mean, it is it one of it was kind of just a really fun band of kind of all of stuff from 40 years ago, 50 years ago, and just added kind of a nice upbeat uh kind of sense to the to the event. So it was kind you of- know, Monsignor, my eight-year-old who just had his first communion, he he loves that music. Uh, and uh, he's a big fan of Pete Seeger and those sorts of uh, peace spirituals that have emerged from that era. So yeah. uh, I think it, it, there, there might be some revival there. Yeah, that is, that is good. But you know, Kevin, the I would say almost all of the, um, almost all of the kind of remarks that were made, I thought, were very good, very on target. Um, my patient isn't that much, so one of them went on for a little bit longer, but they were all kind of on on target. But the one that struck me the most was the the uh, the remarks made by the I don't know what her title was, but the um, the officer from the Coast Guard who spoke about her daughter. And she she said, I'm not Catholic, um, but my daughter learned of Dorothy Day somehow and has become incredibly um, taken up by Dorothy Day. You want to share with our listeners, Kevin, a little bit more about that story? Yeah, I, with the, the captain was saying uh, how and she she was there, Captain uh, uh, Zeta. She's yeah. a commander or the commander of the um, of the Coast Guard uh, in New York City. So she was giving the uh, the certificate, the, cert- the certificate that the vessel was safe to travel, was safe to travel with passengers. Right. So it was uh, it was a formal sort of uh, 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 you're OK to go like a, like you need to keep it in the glove compartment. I don't know what the ferry's <laughs> compartment is but the uh she was talking about how her daughter learned about dorothy and uh you know was was trying to was was trying to challenge uh you know some of the norms that our society has in regards to justice and uh was willing to say as a young woman that the the work of this uh, of Dorothy as a model exemplar for her as a non-catholic was was inspiring uh, and the the commander even said that when um, when the daughter had her yearbook come, she she talked about how uh, you know the women who make history are rarely you know the famous quote about women who re- make history rarely uh, you know be- follow the rules or behave. Uh, and and that's I think you know something that I think Dorothy is I see inspiring with my own students is that whether they're Catholic or not, that they see this woman who took what she believed seriously, and in this case, it's the gospel and the works of mercy, uh, and Dorothy, you know, lived it, tried to live it with integrity. And uh, research shows that young people really respond well to models of people who live with integrity. Uh, and that's, I think, what the commander was, was, was suggesting there, uh, which, which is amazing to hear 
uh, in that case, which is amazing to hear. And and this story of the of naming the ferry is, you know, a lot of people say, well, why would we want to go about doing this? Dorothy might not have liked it because she was a pretty humble person. But uh, as as I think uh, the cardinal Cardinal Dolan, his eminence, uh, reflected in in a comment recently. Now, having it named after Dorothy might encourage people to know about her and emulate her. And that's, I mean, that's what the whole sainthood process is about, right? In many ways, right? Getting people to emulate models of holiness. Um, so I, I think if more people can learn about Dorothy because of this ferry, uh, it's worth it. Good. So since you brought it up, yeah. in your role as the co-chair of the Dorothy Day Guild, um, uh, so how's it going? We're going to get a saint out of her before I die? Well, as one of the bishops reflected, uh, you know, we believe she already is a saint, but we'll, we'll, we'll wait for Rome's determination. Uh, you know, the process is a long process, as we know, and, and complicated and even more complicated because Dorothy wrote a heck of a lot. Uh, and everything she wrote has to be gone through carefully, right? Uh, and so we sent three quarters of a ton of paper to Rome uh, a little over a year ago. Uh, that is going through the process. There's hope to believe that soon we might hear some good news about the status of her being venerable. And that would be great and a moment to celebrate. Uh, for the other next stages, as many of your so listeners Ke- will so know. Kevin, yeah. Kevin uh, I want you to spill the beans. So what are we, what are we, so give me, give us a little bit of the, the dirt. How come we, we're thinking this might happen? I want to, I want to know, did you talk to the Pope? Uh, you know, we, we, we hear things. There are, there oh. are, there are things that might be circulating in the ether, but you know, we also pray and have hope. And okay. uh, the only way I function in the morning with three kids is to have hope that everything's going to go. Okay. <laughs> uh, so we, okay. we have hope that things will, will, make, uh, will go. Uh, I'm confident that there's no surprises in this text. Uh, and if we can get, uh, and this year, you know, is, is an important memorial year for her. It's still 120. She was, she was 100, born 125 years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, it's the 90th anniversary of the Catholic worker movement this week. Okay. Uh, so maybe churches right. like anniversaries. We'll see. We hope. I oh, pray. So, our, so Kevin, our previous guest said, we're going to get a rise in births in China this year or next year, because it's the year of the dragon. And somehow the Chinese believe that people born in the year of the dragon have better luck than others. So so maybe the 90th anniversary, the 125th anniversary, maybe that's going to bring us good luck for getting to the next state with Dorothy Day's process <laughs> of formal sainthood. Oh, I, I think uh, I will have to do some more reflection on on when what years people were declared saints and, and how that matches up with the Chinese calendar. I think that'd be a fun exercise someday. I, I might think- have some students do that. I don't know. But, uh, no, it's it's exciting. I think there's so much energy about Dorothy that I, I you know, I, I there are new books that are coming out in various languages. There are new places being created in, in Europe and in, in Asia and other places. Uh, and I also, Kevin, I also hear kind of one of the yeah. premier uh, colleges in the in the New York metropolitan area is establishing a Dorothy Day Institute. Is that true? Yeah, we're, we're going to. So Manhattan College, we've created a Dorothy Day Center for the study and promotion of social Catholicism. So the idea of this is to get more research and student action on some of the things that your show talks about. 
and we hope that it gets more students involved in the worker. Uh, every year I teach classes where students go and volunteer at the Catholic worker or volunteer at other Catholic charities or other services related to the church. Uh, and those students come back transformed. Not all, but, but many of them come back transformed. Mm-hmm. And that is something we want to honor. We also know that there isn't a public place in New York uh, that really has a actual exhibit to tell about who Dorothy was. So we're opening up an exhibit uh, with a few items from her life, including the uh, famous dress and hat that she wore in her last arrest in California with Cesar Chavez and the farm workers. Uh, and that's a, in a most iconic photo of her, perhaps. Uh, we'll have that on display with information about her. So you can manhattan.edu slash Dorothy Day for more information. But uh, we're hoping to, I've already had a great group of high school students from Regis High School come up to the college recently. We're hoping to do some programming for high school teachers of how to teach about the Catholic social justice tradition using Dorothy as a lens. So we're a lot of exciting things happening there. Are you thinking of doing any events at the Institute in order to kind of raise awareness? Oh, yes. Yeah. So every year for the last eight years, we have had a annual lecture uh, bringing in various people to talk about Dorothy and her legacy and various aspects. Uh, so that'll already be something we'll continue. Uh, we will have a conference next year, a more academic conference, looking at the legacy of Dorothy uh, and what she means for the future and for the church today. Uh, and so that we're going to be doing various events there and getting students involved. So we've had students uh, go down to Catholic Charities in New York, where the Guild offices uh, has been recently, uh, and uh, volunteer there. So I don't know of any other colleges where students have been actively involved in a canonization process. And I think that's very cool. Uh, so this is a really exciting opportunity for our students, but we hope to also be a service to the local church and in, in raising awareness of who Dorothy is. We're going to be housing the offices of the Dorothy Day Guild um, just to be able to provide you know, more support from students, volunteers, and other volunteers to the work and the co- what the college can offer. Uh, and we're, the college is very excited to support the and to partner with the archdiocese on this. Great. We're speaking with... Uh... Professor Kevin Ahern, and I am just delighted that, Kevin, that you've taken the time to be with us this week. Thanks for your generous time. Thank you for the work you're doing, and uh, we'll keep praying for the success of the cause. Thanks so much, and uh, good luck uh, with the rest of the program. Thank you. Just love. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. Just love. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. Um, so we looked a little bit far away. We looked to uh, China uh, today and then we looked a little bit closer to home in terms of what is going on in the canonization of Dorothy Day. Tom, um, you're an you're a graduate of Manhattan College, and you were, you were in the Peace Studies program up there, weren't you? I sure was. Uh, yep. So tell us a little bit about that program. That program, it was, it was a good program this year. I mean, I was in school in the late 80s. So, uh, you know, that was right after the Peace Pastoral was put out by the U.S. bishops. So there was a big emphasis on, on us learning about that. There was also a lot of courses uh, that they wound up teaching about peacemakers, Gandhi, King. Um, we did a lot of reading of, the, of of their works and kind of their their social thought. And it was really tied in uh, a lot with the political science department and the religion department. So uh, we would take a lot of poli-sci courses. We would take a lot of religious studies courses. Um, and, and then at the end, you had to kind of come up with... Uh, sort of like a paper about it was your capstone kind of like your vision for the future of society and uh which was kind of fun i have to say you know my vision of the future of society was very much not how we're living today (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately you know we like john lennon says let's give peace a chance (laughs) would you do it again you know i would um you know, it was a double major. I had political science and I had peace studies. The one thing I would do is I would probably, honestly, take uh, a few more business courses, and and I would do the same with law school too, because I think that um, when I went to law school, I think I was under the assumption that you know lawyers were meant to be, you know, I guess peacemakers and and you know they were meant to be mediators and such. And and as you know, Monsignor, the practice of law is you know probably one tenth mediator peacekeeper and nine tenths you know getting the other guy so so i think i would do a lot more i I think i would do a lot more business courses if i could i think i would wind up all right well that's a that's a that's a good good deal and i think i think one of the things you you just kind of alluded to is you know part of our task is to kind of advance the kingdom of god to make it go a little bit further and there's a lot in our world that is discouraging, a lot that is not reflective of the values of God's kingdom. And so, but we keep talking about them. Hopefully we bring a Catholic perspective to what's going on in the world. And hopefully the world does become at least a little more just, a little bit more compassionate. So just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And join us again next week on the Catholic Channel. Sirius XM 129. You're listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.